Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 47 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Dr. Ray Painter, and today we want to discuss, I, I, we really want to lay out the basics and kind of outline what coding a urologist should know and give you the reasons why urologists should know this. Um, we've had a lot of questions over the years of, you know, over the last 30 years, I can't tell you how many times I've been at a a conference or been at our, one of our seminars or been somewhere where we were talking with, uh, where I was talking with the urologist and they said, oh no, my, my coders handle that. Well, that, that's good in some instances, but other instances it's not. So can you, Ray, for the record, state what it is that we need that urologists need to know as far as coding is concerned and why they need to know it. So lay out that argument of why they, why urologists need to know coding and just how much they actually need to know. Well, Scott, to, to set this up and, and explain why we decided to do this today. Uh, as uh, many of you know, we've uh, created a video course to teach physicians what they needed to know about good coding and, and billing system. We also are, are training uh, coders to give them a better understanding of the system. And we just got a request from a doctor after we've already had hundreds take the course and we've gotten good feedback, but we had one to tell their office manager he wanted your money back. He started listening, and it was for coders. It wasn't for him. Well, we thought, we're obviously, we're going to give him his money back if he doesn't see the need. But we, we were thinking there were others out there that might be thinking the same thing. Oh, no, I don't need to know that. But there is a certain part that the doc needs to know uh, we've always taught that billing was a team effort. And depending on the team, docs need to know a variable amount. You know, there are some docs that are deeply involved and they know the coding system. They pick their codes, they pick their modifiers, and, and they tell their billers what to bill and what not to bill. Others have a good team behind them, and, and they don't need to do everything. But there's four things the doc has to do. And, you know, it's kind of funny. All of them accept this with E&M codes. You do have to document, and, and normally it's the doc that picks the right level of the E&M code. Sometimes they have their EMR do it, but if they're smart, they, they double check because 
we, we've seen that not all EMR systems are accurate in how they pick the codes. But when it comes to billing for procedures, physicians have been much more likely to either have an abstractor read their op note and determine exactly what to bill, or uh, they, they just give a list of things they've done to their billing department and let them figure out the rest. Well, there's an incongruity there. In the ENM, you definitely need to know what you document, what you bill, and you need to bill correctly. The same way is with the procedures. You need to build accurately because everything that's billed is billed under the name of the physician. And we should be sure it's accurate. In fact, in most situations, our pay depends on exactly how much we bill for, whether it's in relative values or whether it's what we collect. So let's take a drill down and take a little closer look at a procedure. And stones are a good example of this. You may have a stone in the kidney, you may have one in the ureter, you may have uh, different things going on. And a doc needs to document exactly what was done. But in addition, who is in a better position to determine whether that secondary procedure was a part of the main procedure or it was an exception to the global rule. Well, that brings up several things. What basic knowledge does the urologist that's backed by a good team and doesn't have to do everything himself? What basic knowledge does that urologist need? And so I would say to the doc that wanted his money back and didn't need to take any other course, there's a certain part you need. And I would say to the urologist that leaves it all to the coder or has an abstractor, there's certain things you need to know. And understanding the global concept is one of those things. You know, the global concept is very simple. When they pay you for a procedure, the payer has considered that they paid you for everything you do that day. So unless you are knowledgeable enough to know what the exception should be and what you should be paid for separately, the only thing you're going to get paid for is that procedure. But on the other side of the coin, if you are billing everything that the bundling matrix or the, or the NCCI says you can bill, you're billing for a lot of things that you really shouldn't. You're fraudulently billing for services. And you're when you put a modifier on that procedure that is a facilitatory or was performed to, uh, to facilitate the main procedure, and you put a modifier to get paid, 
that's fraudulent. They've already paid you for that, and you're asking to get paid for it again. For example, if you have a stone in the kidney that you do a lithotripsy on, you get paid for that. And you bill for that one specifically. But if there was a separate stone in the ureter and you pull it out with a basket, you should get paid for that too. On the other side of the coin, if you had that a stone in the kidney and you did the lithotripsy and a big fragment dropped down into the ureter and you pulled that out with a basket, you've done the same two things. You perform two procedures. One, ureteroscopy with lithotripsy of a stone in the kidney, and the other is a basket removal of a stone in the ureter. And if you don't put the appropriate modifier on the basket to remove that separate stone, you don't get paid. On the other side of the coin, if you do put a modifier on that second procedure, the stone to remove the fragment, you have fraudulently asked to be paid for that procedure. So it's important to understand the global concept and to know what the exceptions are. And there's no one that's in a better position to communicate to the billing department which of those procedures are exceptions and should be paid separately, and which of them are a part of the global procedure and should not be charged separately, even if the bundling matrix states that, yes, you can unbundle and you can get paid. So the bottom line is just because you can get paid, with the use of a modifier doesn't mean you should be paid. And every doc should understand this. So so when looking at that and looking at the big picture and we look at, uh, you know, the logic behind what, and you kind of laid out the bottom line. Now, let me ask you another question, okay? So if I'm looking at it as a urologist, why wouldn't, I mean, why, if I hear that and that discussion from you, and I still don't think it's important, why do you think, you know, to know the basics of coding, you know, in my in my looking at it, I look at it and say, okay, if a, if a urologist says, I understand all that and I understand what you're saying, but that still doesn't apply to me, is that because they're making enough money and they they don't necessarily care? They're not really worried about fraudulently billing what what i mean because we've explained this for a, a, a lot of times and a number of years and we still get this over and over and over again and um I, I i'm kind of at a loss why if you hear that and that logic and that argument th that seems pretty clear to me but why are we still having a lot of discussions around this uh, it's probably because of the madoff reports okay <laughs> You've heard of uh, Madoff, the guy that swindled a lot of people out of a lot of money because the reports he gave them were were all false. They didn't. They they may not have been totally false, but they didn't tell the whole story. 
So people thought they were doing fine, and all of a sudden the money was gone. Well, at the end of the month, or at uh, depending on what kind of practice you're in, when I was in practice, I'd get my report every month. And it would tell me, this is how much you put on the books. In other words, this is what you should have been paid. Here's what we had to have as contractual write-offs. This is what the payer said they didn't pay for, that, that, uh, and therefore we just wrote it off. And this other 2% we couldn't collect. In other words, you, the, the reports are always good. You're always collecting most of what you should. But what those reports don't tell you are those procedures that were not billed that should have been billed. And some of those contractual write-offs may not be contractual write-offs. But in germane to our discussion today, what the reports don't tell you that you're missing is they don't tell you the procedures that you performed that were not billed. And it doesn't really share with you what was billed incorrectly because this could be in a contractual write-off. But it also doesn't tell you the stuff that you were that you billed that you shouldn't have billed. You know, the 59 modifier or the X modifiers can be used on many, many procedures to pull them out of the bundle of another procedure. And, and you know, particular as an unusual service or a different structure or something. But if that procedure was a component or was performed to facilitate the primary procedure, you shouldn't bill it. You shouldn't put that modifier on it, even though the bundling matrix says you can. And we see that misused time and time again. So, okay, so you have that that's that you're that's in your blind spot, so to speak. So you you there those are the things that aren't showing up in the in the report. So, okay, well, let me ask you, how do you spot those things? Well, you spot them with knowledge, and you identify them in the very beginning. Because they, unless you go back and really take a look at what was billed for that procedure and when you did multiple different procedures at the same setting, you'll never know whether it was billed correctly or wasn't billed correctly. So... The report can't tell you that. And your report from your coders, because they may not be recognizing it. You know, we we work with a lot of coders as well as docs. And we hire a lot of coders to work for us. And we have over the years. And we find variable levels of knowledge. And we we really appreciated when the certified coder came into the picture because that means they did have a basic understanding of CPT and ICD-10, at that time ICD-9. But that doesn't mean that they understand how to apply modifiers. 
And if the documentation is not detailed enough, they may not know after reading your operative report. So the bottom line, Scott, the doc needs to understand the global concept in order to be sure they document completely what they did and why they did it on each procedure. It's important with documentation to know what was done and why it was done, because that why it was done really tells whether you should charge it or you shouldn't charge it. And then the documentation is, is paramount. And then the other things that the doc really should do is identify the services that are performed that should be billed. You know, in certain circumstances, they may not need to know which modifier to use. They could rely on their billers to do it. But to identify what was a part of that procedure and what was an exception to the global rule of that procedure is something the doc should do. There's really no excuse for a doc not to do that. No, the agency just isn't enough. <laughs> well, well, and you know, and and I can certainly understand the argument. You know, the docs, you know, urologists, they they go to school and you know, go to med school and residency. I mean, they want to be clinicians. They want to help their patients. And, you know, coding is that uh, that additional learning that you have to do to to run a practice or be able to communicate what you've done for most likely for reimbursement purposes in, in most cases. And that's just, you know, that seems a little arm's length away from treating a patient. And that is just something that is is the nature of the the healthcare system, unfortunately. Well, you know, maybe kind of like driving a car. You learn to drive a car, and you you can learn to drive it well. But you also need to know the laws of the road. And coding maybe uh, the basics of coding, the concepts, the the global concept maybe the laws of the the road that a doc needs to understand. Yeah. Well, I know you've taught thousands of urologists over the over the years and and I know you've talked to a lot of urologists about coding and and what they need to know. What is there any one thing that you've uh, you know, I, I know you just shared kind of the, the overall picture, but what is the one theme that is a constant that they just can't believe that they have to learn in this? Is it the coding part of the rules or what's the what's the hardest thing to understand for urologists that they need to grasp in this system? Well, I think that one of the problems is we're very trusting you know, we have staff we hire, we have staff we work with, and in general, we really do trust that they're doing their job. And so many urologists have just bifurcated the two things. My job is to do the procedure, their job is to bill it. And that's that's kind of the, the breakdown. I'm too busy with clinical, and I've got umpteen dozen things that 
priority-wise, it's more important to do what I do best, and that's take care of patients other than doing the other. So that's the reason we go the second mile in, in saying that the, the staff needs to help the urologist do their part. And that is developing what we've called the short list. Because if you have it organized where you identify the codes that are performed when a doc does a certain procedure, and you break this down into a short list, so all the doc has to do is circle what they've done, either on a sheet of paper like the old super bill we used to use in the office, or whether it's electronic. If you have, if the code and the urologists have worked together to identify the different services that are performed with different uh, problems that they take to surgery, then it's easy for the doc to simply mark what they've done and communicate in some fashion, charge or no charge, as to the, the secondary procedures. And then let the billers do the rest. But we've always said the doc should should uh, should do what they do best and delegate the rest, both clinically and billing. But we've taken that too far when it comes to billing. We've delegated things we shouldn't be delegating. All right. Well, I know this is uh, repetitive for a lot of people out there because we are very consistent in in uh, our message about what a urologist should know and as far as coding and, and the billing system. And I know, Ray, you've talked about the short list, uh, you know, time and time again. And uh, and you do that because that's a system and that system works. And so if you can come up with the systems with your team, then the amount of coding you need to know may vary based on how, what systems you have, but you still need to know the basics. It's, it's very simple. You need to know what you need to know. <laughs> yes. You need to know what you need to know. And, and you need to do what you need to do. And <laughs> then you can delegate the rest. <laughs> All right. It, it is important in the entire practice. We've talked about the wheel of fortune many times, of the many steps that are taken from the time a patient makes an appointment until the time the money's in the bank. And it is important to have, to implement best practices all along the way. And, and this is just one part of that best practice that we've talked about today. Very good. Well, thank you again for going over that. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody understands that, uh, that there is a certain level of coding expertise or coding knowledge that a urologist does need when practicing. Final word to you. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. 
where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there's time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music under his record label, The Juicery, with extra pulp and special guests.